be taken from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're continuing in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament on a series I'm calling Journey of a Lifetime. And it is truly amazing to see how the journey of the Israelites in the desert parallels with our journey through life. And we're going to see how this particular passage was picked up in the days of our Lord and how he responded to this passage. And I'll be reading from John 6, which may not be printed in your bulletin and therefore not on the overhead, but hopefully if you have your Bibles you can follow, and if not, listen. And we will read from John 6, 32 and following. You may remain seated for the Old Testament lesson and then for the gospel, I'll ask you to stand. And so first of all, from Exodus chapter 16, I'll read selected verses, beginning with verses uh, 9 through 12, and then I'm going to add to that uh, 13 through 15, and then intercept the end of the chapter at verses 31 through 36. I remind you, this is the inerrant and the infallible word of the living God. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. 
the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Would you stand for the reading of the gospel? From John chapter 6, beginning with verse 32, Jesus answers the religious leaders who are scoffing at his claims of messiahship and his self-identity of Old Testament types and symbols. He answers, Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. Let us pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, let me preach as if never to preach again, and as a dying man to dying men. Amen. Please be seated. There are times in the journey of life when we are tempted to say, and we have said, I'm sure, I can't go on another day. I can't go on another day with that most demanding boss. I can't go another mile in the journey with those unreasonable customers. Lord, I can't go another day living in this pain. And that can turn, as we saw last week in the message on murmuring, that can create, if not corrected and met with faith, a legion on the soul, a spot. which can metastasize. I remember my, uh, my grandmother, she had a saying, an oft 
repeated saying, particularly when the calf got out of the pasture and she would have to run on a Sunday morning to get the calf in, sometimes calling me as a little boy to help her get the calf in. And then after it was all over, she'd say, oh my, that's enough to make a preacher cuss. Well, I haven't done any cursing lately for many years. But I think about my grandmother's words every now and then when uh, I sometimes say to myself, Lord, can I, can I go on another day with this? I think all of you know what I mean. It manifests itself in various ways in this journey of life. And it can turn to murmuring. It can turn to a disgruntled spirit that even the dog doesn't want to be around. And so what is God's response to, to that? What does he offer us? As we saw in the passage, the first part of Exodus 16, he doesn't respond with judgment. He responds actually with an invitation to come closer to him and to see that he provides, he faithfully provides, even when we are faithless. This truth is picked up also in the New Testament as it was quoted in Philippians, likely a hymn or a creed that developed in the early church. He is faithful. He demonstrated his faithfulness to Israel even in the midst of their faithlessness and their grumbling and their, this is enough to make a preacher cuss, I can't go on one more day kind of response to their hunger in the wilderness by sending them a nice quail supper and some very nice, shall we say, French pastry in the morning. Although when I read it, it sounds to me more like baklava, which is a more Mediterranean meal of wafers. And of course it has nuts. There's no nuts mentioned in the Bible. But honey, honey and fine wafers. Those of you of Greek heritage or uh, uh, heritage, if you're from that your family came from that part of the Mediterranean, know about it, or if you just happen to like baklava, you know what I mean. Wafers, fine, white, quail in the evening, and pastry in the morning. But when they came to this promise of, of bread from heaven in the morning, they looked at it, and it was this, it says in the Bible, a frost-like thing. And that made me laugh when I, when I saw it, when I read it. And their response, they, they said, what is it? And, and the answer, we're told, the answer is 
mana. What is it? That's right. The question is, what is it? The answer is, what is it? It's almost like Abbott and Costello's who's on first, uh, what's on second, and so forth. What is it? Mana, which means, what is it? So the answer to the question was like a good rabbinical uh, scholar. It was a question. We don't know what it is. What is it? What is it? Mana. They called it manna. It was bread from heaven. But within this manna, which was again, we see, picked up by Jesus in the New Testament. And he identifies with the manna. He says that I am the fulfillment of the manna in so many words. I am the personification of that manna. And he reminds them Moses didn't feed the Hebrew children. God did with this manna from heaven, this bread from heaven. And he said, I am the bread of life. And he says this to a people who are still in sin. And this both gets at the character of God and the character of the manna, his provision. He is faithful when we are faithless. And he is so specifically in this text through this frost-like thing. What is it? So what are the features of that? There's three I want to bring to you this morning. There are others in the text that can be discovered. It is, of course, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And the passage can actually be developed in a number of different ways because of the richness not only the tasty richness of manna, but the depth of meaning. What is it? What is it? You see, that's what you and I ask sometimes in our own lives. What is it? And the answer is still a question. And that leads us to the first feature of manna. Manna is mysterious. Its origins, well, it's from heaven. That's all we know. And it appears on the ground. It's a mysterious provision of God for a people who have been wayward and who have not trusted in Him despite His many demonstrations of love. Manna is mysterious. Now this week I read in peer-reviewed journal articles going all the way back to the 19th century about the constitution, the physical constitution of manna as it is supposed by a number of scholars. The problem I saw with all of the hypotheses was this. It didn't exhibit all of the attributes of manna, maybe one or two. But this manna came down, it had to be gathered. If you gathered too much, the remaining portion by the next morning will have ruined, would have spoiled, and it will have worms in it. Now I found some 
naturally uh, occurring uh, uh, food-like substances in that region, in that wilderness region from these scholars, but it didn't, have, it didn't exhibit that. Not only that, this manna could not only be eaten as something sweet on its own, you could cook with it. You could bake it. You could turn it into bread. It had a variety of uses, not so with the gums and the, the various frost-like uh, occurrences uh, that are edible in nature uh, that could be found there now or in earlier years by a plant that maybe has disappeared now, but didn't have those features. You couldn't, you couldn't cook with it. it. It didn't have a consistency that would, that would last, that could sustain kneading and making it into bread. So what is it? I don't know. All I know is it feeds the Israelites. All I know is it comes from God. All I know is that it is so sweet. All I know is it is applied in so many ways. When my Aunt Eva, who reared me, was dying, my wife was with me, and our son, who's away at college now, but my wife was with me in that time. She took care of my Aunt Eva. And I went to talk with Aunt Eva when, when it appeared that uh, it could be days or weeks. And she told me something was bothering her. And I listened very carefully because she was speaking quietly. Now many times I had gone to her bedside, got on my knees beside her bed, and said, Aunt Eva, I have a problem. I'm in a counseling situation. I can't figure this out. Will you help me? Will you give me wisdom? But this time, she pulled me down beside her, and she says, I have something I don't understand. And I said, what is it, Aunt Eva? This woman had, I never knew a time when I didn't know the name Jesus. She held me in her lap, and I heard her heartbeat as she read the scriptures, and it, it was so real to me as a child. And she lived the faith. I never rebelled against her, though I was a prodigal, but not against her, because she was authentically the woman I knew. She said, I... There are passages I don't understand. And now she seemed to be saying, without saying the words, I'm at this place about to go home to be with the Lord. And I've studied the Bible all my life. And there's so many things I don't understand. And I said, Aunt Eva, I don't. I don't know that, that we ever will, but you're about to understand uh, perfectly. 
people will ask me about text or ask me about why did God allow this? What is it? And they want a response that will be neat and tidy. But sometimes the response we must give in this life is mana. To live in the tension of the mystery is also faith. To receive the promises of God in spite, yes, in spite of the natural forces all around us which are taunting and laughing at the promises. What is it? Manna. Mystery. But what we do know, what we do know is healing. What we do know is that to eat the bread will sustain you in the wilderness. What we do know is that the manna, the bread of life, is sweet. Jesus is sweet to the Spirit. He's sweet to His people. He is perfectly able to provide in every area of your life if you call upon Him. There is provision enough for Him for today. You're saved once and forever through His glorious grace. But each Sunday, as Pastor Darrell did this morning, he leads us in confession to remove the dust of the world from our souls as a people. And we go back and we get more manna. We can't just say, I had an experience with God 20 years ago and, and I'm good to go. I walked the aisle when I was a child, now I'm fine. I was confirmed when I was 12, check the box. The question is always, how are things with you and the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Now, manna is mystery. But we also see in the text that manna is miraculous. It comes down from heaven and it is available for a short period of time and you're able to receive it for your family, you're able to, to consume it, but then it goes bad I say again, all of the studies that I've done, and some have done PhD dissertations, five years of study on it, the, the manna is completely different than any other substance. It's because it is a miracle. There are many people who would like to 
classify Jesus as either a teacher or a great philosopher or a great rabbi. He was all of those things. But he was raised from the dead and he said it would happen. And there were those who saw him alive, who saw him crucified, and then during the 50 days before Pentecost saw the resurrected Christ over 500 at once, according to the Apostle Paul. The evidence and the testimony is overwhelming. What is it? He is the bread from heaven. It is miraculous. And somebody says, I'm a logical man. It's not logical to me. I would say to you, dear sir, that it is absolutely logical for an almighty God who is in complete control of all things to do whatever he pleases. And if he pleases to rain down frost-like things from heaven, he may do so. That is logical if he is an almighty being. It's simply not natural. It's a miracle. You say, well, it's not logical that God himself should come and live and die as a man crucified by those whom he created. That's not logical. I would say, no, it's not logical. It absolutely defies logic. Paul in 1 Corinthians says it's foolishness to the world, but it's the wisdom of God. It's a miracle. You say, it's not logical that you talk about a man who's lived like a filthy sinner all of his life. And now you tell me he's converted and by what? He goes to a meeting, he hears a, a preacher, he goes to a small group, he's, he's moved by something, by a scripture, a text from a thousand years, from 1500 years ago? That's not logical, man. And I'd say, hey, yes, that's right. not logical. But we are not dealing with the logic of man when we deal with God. We are dealing with that which is supernatural. It is the miraculous grace and love of a creator for his creation, for, for you and for me. It's not logical. It's miraculous. It's miraculous that I should be standing here, a prodigal, a filthy sinner, saved by grace, who once blasphemed the gospel I preached to you today. It's not logical, but it is miraculous. And maybe that gives hope to, to just someone here today. Maybe parents praying for a prodigal daughter or a son. Or, or maybe even a young person who's maybe a, a child of 12, 13, 14 years old, maybe a little girl or a little boy, and they're trying to figure out their mom and dad's faith and how it becomes their faith. It's a miracle. It's supernatural. It's bread from heaven.
The last feature I want to talk to you about this morning is the feature that appears in the latter part of chapter 16. And we read the verses 31 through 36. And particularly in verse 33, Moses says to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. Here's the feature. Here's the, the last feature, the third feature of this manna for our lives and for our journey. It's not only a mystery and it's miraculous, all of which will help us and feed us and sustain us and give us hope. It is a memorial. Now, what Moses commanded Aaron to do has been done in other parts of Scripture, not, not place an omer of the frost-like thing in a jar before the testimony of the Lord for future generations, but signs of God's presence have been memorialized. In Genesis, Genesis 9 is a rainbow. It's a memorial to the promise of God. It's a memorial to a very, uh, an incomparably difficult time in the world of destruction. And then a promise of the world will not be destroyed by this flood water. And we have that memorial in our skies from time to time when we're blessed and we're able to see that memorial. What does the memorial do? It draws us back. It recalibrates us to a promise. It often appears when it has been raining. And it's just a promise. It's a sign of his presence. There were many other memorials in the Old Testament. The Passover, these people had already had a memorial. The Passover was instituted as an everlasting memorial which we continue in the Lord's Supper where we are recalibrated back to the salvation of our souls in the Lord Jesus Christ, the salvation of the people in Israel, miraculously so. And so here he says, take an omer, and an omer is probably an armful, best way to put it. Homer was the next measurement, and that was a, a donkey load full, and that's the way it's kind of expressed. But this is an armful, what they would have picked up in the morning. And they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant yet, said put it before the testimony. These would have been the sacred tablets, the Ten Commandments. Put it in a jar and keep it. Well, we, we have it in the Word. It's forever here for you to come and see the law and the testimony. Come and see what God has done for you. I remember a number of years ago when I uh, graduated at the University of Wales and we were gathering to vest, to robe up, 
and we walked out of that uh, old square in Lampeter, Wales, which is a sheep market town from the Middle Ages, and then with the magnificent uh, university structure in the middle of the town. And we marched to the place of, they call it the, the congregation. We call it a graduation. And we sang a song, a hymn. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. And these words, bread of heaven, bread of heaven, Feed me till I want no more. And those Welsh voices, all male. There were females there, but all you'd hear were all the male voices. Feed me till I want no more. You see, that's the national hymn of Wales. It is so because the hymn keeps popping up in her history written by William Williams when revival was going on in the 18th century. It pops up again in the 19th century and then again in the early 20th century in the Welsh revivals of 1903 and 04 when God visited the mining towns and the great miner evangelist Evan Roberts' voice roared through Cum Randa through the Rhonda Valley and through the other valleys in Wales. And I remembered that because I thought, you know, just a few years ago as I was sick in bed on my journey, I experienced quite a dark night of the soul and I wondered if would there ever be a, a time when I could minister again physically. Yes, it was, it was enough to make a, a preacher cry. And he came to me across time and through his servants. And I guess I really wanted to say to you that the opportunity to break the bread of life with you is for me a what is it? God meets our needs in so many mysterious, miraculous, wonderful ways that we will never forget. I'll always remember the difficulty and the trial, but I, I want to also remember the manna in the desert. And that manna is the Lord Jesus Christ who walks today among us and who moves through these seats and into your lives and into your hearts. Will you receive him? Will you take the manna and consume it? 
and be healed. Let us pray. Hungry hearts are fed by bread from heaven. This is what you teach us. And we confess that we are people with hungry hearts, needs and desires, and some of them illicit, some of them bringing pain, exhibiting signs of sin like the Israelites murmuring. But we thank you your response is not one of judgment, but sending your only begotten Son to live the life we could not live and die the death which should have been ours, bread from heaven. And we look at you, Lord Jesus, and the fullness of your beauty, the compelling person that is presented in Scripture, in history, and on our hearts today. And we cannot fathom the incomprehensibility of your love and grace. Oh, but we will not let that stop us from consuming you by faith now as we receive you, as we follow you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Stand so we may join our voices together to praise the name of our Lord. O sovereign God, O matchless King, the saints adore, the angels sing. And fall before the throne of grace To you belongs the highest praise These sufferings, this passing time Under your wings I will abide And every
Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>